Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. Magnify your holy name, Father, for this hour, this moment. Demand, Holy Spirit of God, for insight. Prophetic revelations that will grant us a lot of glory. Entrance into the stuff you've restored, you've put in place for us, a God of glory, to receive as sons and children of yours in the kingdom, so that we would not only grow, but be able to manifest all of that which is given to us. Grant us that insight tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, uh, we continue with uh, and I'm going to try to end up today. Biblical numbers Bible language and biblical numbers I'm intending to end up today. So let me see how far I can go. I want to take uh, three numbers. Uh, I'm going to be taking number 90 number 100 and number 1000 and then um, and that's what I intend to do tonight. So, it's like I'm going to be a little bit fast so that you can uh, also try to follow me. Amen? Right. Now, let's start with number 90. What is number 90 in the scriptures? 90 is used five times in the Bible. Night is used about five times in the Bible. In the New Testament. Now, night places, you have things like prayers and address to the Father. In my night places, you have when it's, it's regards to the Father, prayer to the Father, you have it used of my night places. When you have words like crime, seek, Holy Spirit, and verbs like punish, they are used 90 times in the Bible. Words like crime, seek, holy, I mean Holy Spirit, and the verb punish, they are used 90 times in the Bible. And there's an interesting thing about the Virgin Mary. The Virgin Mary stayed with Elizabeth for 90 days to the birth of John the Baptist. Very interesting and significant as well. Those are just some background I just need to give to you how it is used on the Bible. Now you find that 90 is number nine plus zero. And that is also very significant. Nine, as we know it, speaks of the closure or completion of your spiritual goals. Remember the nine fruit of the spirit. Yeah. So we're talking about the completion or the closure. Of your spiritual goals. That's number nine. 
Now, number zero actually speaks of the energy of divine source on anything it accompanies. In other words, it empowers anything it accompanies. So it's like zero is empowering nine. Now you know that zero is called omega. Right? And Jesus will say, I am the alpha and the omega. Zero is omega. One is alpha. The beginning and the end. So you have the beginning and the end in terms of one and zero. Amen? So I want you to get this. Alpha is one. Omega is zero. Now when you talk about alpha and omega, you're talking of the beginning and the end. So one is beginning. Zero is end. That's why when you bring in the zero, which is the energy source of God, like I said, then powers any number it accompanying what accomplish. Simply means the zero is empowering the nine. And that's why you're having 90. Amen? So 90 speaks of the support you need to take you to a higher spiritual attainment and your higher purposes of life. 90 speaks of what? It's that which you need that takes you to a higher spiritual attainment and your higher purposes of life. In other words, when God begins to show you number 90 is in a way trying to tell you that you got to move up or you are about moving up or you are moving up. It takes you to a higher spiritual attainment and your higher purposes of life. That's number 90. Nine speaks of enclosure completion. Zero speaks of the energy that empowers the number nine, which is omega. The completion, completeness. So it's taking you to a higher dimension of your spiritual attainment and your purposes in life. That's number 90. When you look, or oh, it seems, I mean, you look at things sometimes and situation is looking ugly in your life. The revelation of 90 shows the ending shall be glorious and satisfactory. In other words, if you're going through some terrible times and you look at situation, it's not bright enough and the Lord begins to show you number 90. He's just trying to tell you that the end of all of this is going to be glorious. It's a perfect conclusion, the perfect enclosure of spiritual attainment. So, when you see 90, then that would dispel from you the fear, the doubt, based on the experiences you are having at that particular moment. So God is just trying to tell you, the future is glorious. Praise the Lord. Are you still there? You know, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for those number of days before the birth of, of, of John was very, very significant and prophetic. You see that? Because you see, John was going to hear out the coming of Christ.
strong Most often, the blessings we receive, they come at the end of bad situations, especially children of God. Are you with me? Changes comes most times as a blessing, and the end of one situation leads to a bigger and a better situation. And it's very important to understand this. That is, help me God. That is why we can't be so frustrated if we have to understand the workings of God. Anytime there is a dark spot, darkness before you, because you are in God, there is always a light on the other side of it. And like I'm saying here, changes that brings blessing, they always come at the end of every bad situation. And they are always bigger and better. In fact, scripture said they are reserved the last or the better for the last. Amen? Praise the Lord. So now, 90 is similarly a number that encourages us to face situations when we see dark situations before us, discouraging situations before us, I mean, it's very close to number 100, which I'm going to make you see. Because you see, number 100 makes you to get out of negative thinking. And so 90 backs you up to step into that. Praise the living God. So, the appearance of number 90 shows that you are about putting your skills and talent to greater advantage. It tells you that you are commitment. Now, I want you to get that. By implication... Things are not the way they are supposed to be, and God is revealing 90 to you. That is to say, He's trying to tell you it's about time you begin to make use of your talent and the graces that are in your life. Your productivity is about unfolding. The grace and talent that are within you, they are about unfolding when 90 begin to appear to you. You are about to put into use your skills and talent to great and greater advantages. Praise the living God. It tells you that your commitment and services to others will ultimately lead you to the attainment of your desired goals. And that is also very important. When you begin to see number 90, it's a drive to be more useful to people in terms of services. Those are your skills and talents. You are to use them to assist people, to better the lot of people. And, and in so doing, your own desires will be fulfilled. So it's a drive, it's a spiritual drive that takes you to a place of being in good services to other people and then your own desires are being fulfilled when 90 begins to appear to you. Your talent, your graces, they are now being put into use and most often they are directed towards helping the people that I need. Praise the Lord. Are we here? Number 90 is associated with bringing things to a satisfactory conclusion. Bringing things to a satisfactory conclusion. 
I think that's the thing that we need you to write down if you care. Bring into into a satisfactory conclusion. That's what is associated with. In all of the things you want to you want to talk about, that is the conclusion. You bring in things to a satisfactory conclusion. It's coming to the place where joy, excitement is being unfolded. When night begins to appear to you. That is the dimension, that is the movement, that is the way it's taking you to a place of satisfactory conclusion. And like I said, it's a realm at which you begin to make use of your talent, your grace, you know, to better the lot of people, to bring them to the place of joy, and your own heart desires have been fulfilled. Praise the living God. Come on, are we here together? Alright. So, that is just all I need to share with you about number 90, and then we'll go to number 100. <clears throat> like I said, I'm trying to round up with all of this today. So, let's go to number 100. Uh, but I'm sure you understand 90, alright? You did pick it up. few things you need to understand about 90. Yeah, satisfactory conclusion. And like we said before, it is something that enables you to unveil your talent, your graces. And in so doing, you're helping people and your own desires are being fulfilled. That is how 90 works. And like we said, the 9 is that which brings to a closure, completion. And then the 0 is the omega, the energy that drives the number 9. You understand that? Right. So it's very important you just get this. Okay. So, let's go to 100. The number 100. I love this one. Number 100. What is number 100? The true meaning of 100 varies depending on the biblical context and depends on where it is used in the Bible. Right? Are you there? Right. Depend on the pages, I mean the verses that you use on the Bible. Number 100 depends on the context in which it is used on the Bible. Now, ordinarily when something is 100, you call it uh, a centenarian. Right? Centenarian. That is what you call the when it's upon 100. Now, according to the book of Ezra, you look at chapter 2 of the book of Ezra. You can just, we're not going to quote so many verses of Bible passages today. Now, some Jews returned to Jerusalem after the years of captivity. And then they contributed gold, silver, and a hundred priestly garments towards the restoration of the temple and its services. Hundred priestly garments, that's what is important to us there. They contributed gold, silver. But when it comes to the priestly garment, it was hundred. And that is very, very significant. Very, very significant. Right? In the book of Ezra, if you read chapter 2, that's what you're going to see. Now, if you look at the book of 4 Samuel, just write it down, 4 Samuel 18, 17 to 27. That's a very interesting passage as well. In 4 Samuel chapter 18, 17 to 27, we find that Saul told David, you wanted to kill David, and one of the ways by which he intended to do that was to send him into the, the war front so that the Philistines can kill him. And he said, I'll give you my daughter if only I can bring a hundred foreskin of the Philistines. You remember the story? Right. Go get me a hundred foreskin of the Philistines and then you marry my daughter. And David went to war 
And by the grace of God, he brought 200. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Is that a hundred foreskins? He brought two hundred foreskins. So Saul have no option but to give the wife to David. Praise the living God. You know, so from day one, that woman was a problem to David anyway. <laughs> from day one. You know, she was the lady that, that, you know, despised David in her heart. Stay by the window, David was dancing, everybody happy. They are bringing the ark. She never participated. You know, the spirit of the father was working in her, I'm sure. Hated this man, even though he was a wife. Was hiding behind the window, you know, just peeping from the window. Imagine a whole nation rejoicing, city rejoicing. One individual was hiding behind the window, right? And the next thing he came in, wonderful. You know, David blessed the people, was coming to bless the wife, said, oh, wonderful. Imagine the king, look at the way we're dancing today, dancing naked. Imagine. You know, and the Bible said, God just made her barren because of that statement. Because she never rejoiced with the people at the same time was insulting the ones that were rejoicing with a good heart and bringing the heart back. So she, as far as the scripture is concerned, she was the only woman that was barren in the Bible. Is that okay? And that was the way it reacted. I used to tell people this. The way you, you, you relate to the, uh, in quote, I want to use the word, just get it from me. The way you relate to the word anointing or to the anointed one. Every one of us is anointed, right? But the way you relate to the ones that are chosen for specific thing is very important. It's either it's going to take your name up, it's going to bring your name down. Let me give you an example. You see, Nebuchadnezzar was not the first king of Babylon. I don't know if you're getting that. You study the scripture, he was not the first king of Babylon. But how did his name come into the book? Because he took the children of, Bab- of Israel into captivity. That's why his name came into the book. So he, he encountered the chosen one in a negative way. So your name can either come up in a negative sense or in a positive sense, depending on the way. If you encounter, so it's always good you encounter the chosen one so that your name will come up in a positive way instead of a negative way. You understand that now? So you see, Nebuchadnezzar's name came into the book, not the first king in Israel, I mean in Babylon, but because he took children of Israel into captivity. So his name came into the book. But in a negative sense, you understand it now, right? Now, this wife of, of David, also in a negative sense, because of the way he associated or interacted or dealt with the grace that was on the life of, uh, of David. Negative sense. Now, so in that case, remember, what happened? Even in the case of Nebuchadnezzar, remember he turned to animal later, right? Good. All those who encounter the chosen one in the negative sense, they pay repercussion for it. Now you see this lady, she became barren, the only woman barren in the Bible because of her encounter in a negative sense. Does it make sense to you? So that's why it's very important, the way you interact, the way you, you dealt with people that are chosen for specific assignment by God is very, very crucial. Praise the Lord. Okay. Alright, so... David got 200 false skin instead of 100. Alright. Then if you look at uh, <clears throat> Matthew 18, 21 to 35. It's an interesting story as well. Matthew 18, 21 to 35. Uh, I don't know if we're going to read this. Let's just go. Oh, you don't say Matthew 18? 21 to 25? No, I'm talking about 
The issue of the unforgiving servant, that is not the passage that I'm looking for. That is not the passage I'm looking for. I think maybe look at Mark 18. Uh, I'm talking of the story of the servant that um, the master, you know, forgave her so much, and then she find a fellow servant. Now this was the 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 servant to a master. Oh, so much, and the master forgave the king, forgave the servant, and then she went. I mean, he went to meet with another servant that was owing him. That's a servant, and the man was begging, and this man was owing a hundred talent or silver, whatever it is. Remember the story now. Good. But he refused to forgive the servant. You understand the story? He refused to forgive the servant, right? You get it that? Tell it with not a board. 18? Okay, that's it. Okay, 23. Okay, Matthew 18, 23. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which will take account of his servants. Go ahead. Verse 22. And when he had begun to recon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten talents, or thousand talents, ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. And verse 26 says, The son of the devil fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me. And I will pay thee all. 27. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and lose him and forgave him the debt. He didn't say pay, he said he forgave him the debt. Alright. The next thing was, but the same servant went out and found one of the fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. That's what I'm looking for. And he laid hands on him. And took him by the throat, saying, Pay me, thou thou owest me. By the throat, grab him by the throat. <laughs> Hallelujah. Look at the next thing. And the Bible said, And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. The same language the other man used for the king was the language the servant used. Is that okay? Right. Okay, look at the next thing. And they will not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. <laughs> Look at the next thing now. So when his fellow servants saw that saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told their Lord all that was done. And the next thing says, Then his Lord, after that he has called him, called unto him, O oh, thou wicked servant, that forgive thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Should not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I pity on thee? And the next thing, and the Lord was wrought and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. Now, this also is very important for us to pick. We have to understand this. This is a parable. But let's put it this way. Do you know one of the reasons why Mary Magdalene had to break that alabaster box on Jesus. Jesus made a statement there. 
She recognized that she was forgiven much. Is that okay? So, she valued her forgiveness. She valued her salvation. And so there was nothing restricting her from pouring all of that. You know, if you check it out in new trans, uh, other translation, they tell you it's a man's wage for a whole year. That is to say, all our savings for the whole year was what she poured on Jesus' feet. And that is because she valued the price of the salvation she got. Now, what I'm trying to say is, when you look at the, the prayer of Jesus, that he taught the disciples anyway, uh, pray our Father which are in heaven, right? All of that, all of that. And he came to the point and said, forgive us our trespasses, even as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, you see this picture here. When you make that statement, forgive us our Forgive us our trespasses, even as we forgive those that trespass against us. You are just making a vow. You are just, you are just, you are just saying, God, listen to me. Don't forgive me as long as I don't forgive my neighbor. That's what you are saying. Listen to it. Forgive us our trespasses, even as we forgive those that trespass against us. So you see, the servant. Are you getting what I'm saying now? Now, he was forgiven, right? But if well, God or he refused to forgive the neighbor, so what's the next thing? Even the forgiveness he had was taken away. You got the implication? Right. Even the forgiveness he was already procured, that he was already gotten from the Lord, from the king, was removed. So when you pray, forgive us our trespasses, even as we forgive those that trespass against us. You are saying, as long as I don't forgive them, I don't forgive me. That's what you are saying. And that is why it's important, you must always forgive people. You must always clear your heart. Otherwise, your prayer is in vain. Because look at this man, he said, forgive me, I'll pay you all. So okay, just go. It's not a question of having patience with you, I'm forgiving. Go. When turn around, they got a fellow servant, we spent some amount of money. And the next thing, hundred and he said, you come here, grab me by the throat, pay me all. So man, just give me some time, I don't have time for you. Pay me my money. And then he took him to jail. And then the Lord was informed, and look at what I was about to say, you don't mean it. You come here. I forgave you your own, now you refuse to forgive them. Okay now, you put him in jail, you too, you do what? Go to jail. So sometimes you put yourself in problems because of people that you are refusing to forgive. God allows that. But what I'm raising for you there is the issue is that what he was owing was 100 pence. We're dealing with 100. Is that okay? Praise the living God. So 100 pence led this man to jail. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Alright. Okay. Let's move on. In the book of Mark chapter 4 and chapter and Matthew 13, you know the parable of the sower, so we don't need to read all of that. But in case of the parable of the sower, Mark chapter 4 and Matthew 13 is where you find those parable, parable of the sower. Uh, here we are told that believers are said to produce different levels of fruits. Right? We have the 30, 60, and what? 100. Now one of the things is this. Everything that began or uh, the very foundation of any fruit you bear in, like in Galatians 5, is based on love. Look at Galatians 5 and verse 20. Galatians 5 verse 20. Let's look at that. Okay, go to verse uh, 19. Let's start from verse 19. No, 20. 
Okay, so I'm, I'm looking at 21 now. Let's look at 21. Let's walk out the flesh. Go to verse 21, rather. We just deal with only that. Oh. Okay, go to 22. This is it dealing with that. Good. 22 is what we need. All of that from 20 down, 19 down to 21. Talk about the fruit, of, I mean, uh, the works of the flesh. But what, what I want us to look at here is this. That which concerns the spirit. But the fruit of the spirit is not I. I don't know if you're going to get in this. Now, there's something I want to point out here. The fruit of the spirit, not fruits. You see, if you check from 19, say the words of the flesh, many. But when it comes to the spirit, it's one fruit, not fruits. What is that one fruit? Love. Meaning, out of love, every other thing flows out. Joy is in love. Peace is in love. Long suffering is in love. I don't know if you are getting this. Goodness, gentleness, faith, all those things are in love. The whole of the fruit you're talking about, all of those you're talking about is just one fruit manifesting, and that is love. We have love, you can have long suffering. Like the guy that put the other man in jail, he had no love, he had no long suffering, he had no patience. Because he said, just hold on for me for a while. Patient. You never had that. No love. So when you walk in love, you manifest all of this other thing. And that is one thing the Spirit gives to you. It's one fruit. And that is what? Love. So, the life of the believer is centered on this one fruit of the Spirit, which is love. Out of which flows out all other spirits. And mind you, the excess of this fruit of the Spirit is towards people. You have long suffering, it's going to be towards people. Goodness is going to be towards people. I don't know if you are getting that. Right. Just like you have the Ten Commandments. Five is towards God. Five is towards men. When you say love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love God. Love your neighbor. You see? So part goes to God, part goes to men. And all coming from love. So every other thing you're going to manifest, long suffering, patient, whatever, is towards your neighbor. Somebody is, oh, sometimes you get so tired about people. But now the Spirit is trying to say, have long suffering. Praise the living God. So you don't give up on people on time or so quickly. You have to have patience, you have to have long suffering, you know, towards people. So here we find that we are made to understand that the fruit we bear comes in three dimensions. And what is that? 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Is that okay? All of this thing basically are actually our services towards others and our services towards God. Factored in love. Services towards God, services towards man. That is what it is. Praise the Lord. Alright. Now, in Joshua 24 verse 32... Let's read that. Joshua 24, 32. Yeah. The Bible says here, And the bones of Joseph, which were the children of Israel, brought up out of Egypt, buried there in Sikkim, in a portion of ground which Jacob bought of the sons of Ammon, the father of Sikkim, 
for an hundred pieces of silver. And it became the inheritance of the children of Joseph. You know, Joseph already told them while he was still in Egypt in Genesis 50 verse 25. Let's look at Genesis 50 verse 25. Genesis 50 verse 25. Joseph made this request for the children of Israel. And Joseph Praise the Lord. Yeah, Genesis 50, 25. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from here. So when they carried the bones to Israel, I mean to, to the promised land, whatever, this portion of land where they buried him in Sikkim was a portion of land that Jacob bought with 100 pieces of silver. Is that okay? Praise the Lord. Okay. Again, I'm just trying to give you some places where this 100 is used before I begin to deal with the full meaning. In Leviticus 26, 7 and 8. Leviticus 26, verse 7 and 8. And you shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before thee by the sword. And five of you that chase what? A hundred. And a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. And your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. Can I hear amen? Now, here we find that God was saying, children of Israel, if you obey my words, if only you can obey my words, five of you shall put a hundred to flight. Right? And if the enemies be much, then 10 of you shall put 10,000 to fly. That means there is a kind of energy, a kind of support, a kind of force that are within the children of Israel that can take care of as many enemies as don't come across them. But what I want you to pick there is the mention of the word 100. Are we there? Okay. Now, record also how the historical record has it that Apostle John died at the age of 100. John the Beloved, who was in Ireland of Patmos. He died at the age of 100. Now, that is one thing that used to challenge me, that I think about most times. Here was a man that, when they were killing all of the apostles, they couldn't kill him. Now, the boil drum, which is called what we normally call tribe ordeal, drum of oil, boiling oil, and they put him inside. It could not be cooked. Right? The whole oil was boiling, the drum of oil was boiling, they soaked him right inside. All of his body was still the way it was. And just like the children of Israel in Babylon that they put in the, in the fire, the fire could not, none of the eye was stinging. Right? The same thing happened to John. They tried to kill him by tribe or deal. They couldn't kill him. And that's why they said, man, this guy must be a wizard. So let's get him out of the land. That's why they took him to Allah of Patmos. Lonely place. He was just there with animals alone. But they landed there and that's where God revelation. So I begin to write the book of Revelation. All of the things that he wrote in the book of Revelation, he got in the island of Patmos. You know, he lived up to a hundred years before he finally died. So, now, let me get you an interesting aspect of the word hundred or the use of the, this number. Look at Genesis 21 verse number 5. 
Genesis 21 verse number 5. And Genesis 17 verse 17. And Abraham was what? A hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. How old was Abraham? Hundred years. Sarah was ninety years. I want you to see now the empowering of ninety, the zero into the hundred. Amen. Praise the Lord. Abraham got Isaac when he was hundred. Sarah was ninety. Remember, we are dealing with ninety and hundred. There's something I'm going to show you. Now, if you look at Genesis 11, verse number 10, it's another interesting picture. These are the generation of Shem. Shem was a hundred years old and begat a thousand two years after the flood. It was a hundred years and he gave birth after the flood. Just like Abraham gave birth when he was a hundred. Shem also gave birth when gave birth to two children after the flood when he was a hundred years old. Praise the Lord. Alright. Therefore, hundred basically stands for fruitfulness. Bear fruit hundred hundredfold, thirty, sixty, hundred. Is that okay? Shem gave birth two sons after the flood, hundred years old. Abraham gave birth to Isaac, hundred years old. So hundred speaks of fruitfulness. Very interesting. It speaks of inner wisdom and ambition. It speaks of inner wisdom and ambition. Hundred. The desire of Abraham was to have a child. And he came forth when he was a hundred. Praise the Lord. Are you there? I said he speaks of inner wisdom and what? Ambition. Your desire, your ambition, your goals. In the case, it's a time for your spiritual journey. It speaks of the time for your spiritual journey. You are about to embark on a new season, on your spiritual journey. So you see, all of the promises of Abraham came to fruition with the fruitfulness when he was a hundred. And that embarked now, he's embarking on a journey. Of the spiritual promises that God has for him. Which is the type of Jesus now. Is that okay? The realization of that spiritual promise that God gave to him. Came into being when he was a hundred. It's just the beginning of a new journey. Like when he spoke to uh, Eliezer. He said, oh, we're talking to God. He said, Eliezer is my servant in my house. I don't have anything before me. God said, no, I'm going to make a father of many nations. Right? Good. The journey began at the age of 100 when he brought forth Isaac. So it's a time for your spiritual journey. So then it's also a time to change your thinking and get out of negativity and get into positive attitude. 
When you start hearing 100, God is saying, get out of negativity. Get out of negative thinking about your situation and move into a positive attitude about your life in your spiritual walk. Hallelujah. That will enable you to achieve that your goal. And I make you see that. I make you see that. Praise the Lord. Are you there? You see, if you look at it again, 100, you're starting from 1. 1, 0, 0. Is that okay? Right. We already said that 0 is the energy that drives the letter that goes with it. Now, what is 1? Ordinarily, 1 is associated with success, development, growth, and progress. There is one God, one spirit, one baptism. Is that okay? Right. It speaks of success, development, growth, and progress. So we're talking about the energy that drives the success. Which stands for a new beginning now. It means you are ready to create your own life and to make success. And we're talking about 100 now. And that is added by the zero with a divine force that assists you in achieving your goals. The zero is a divine force that assists you in achieving your goals. One speaks of success, progress, development, growth. Zero is the energy that drives the one in front of it. So when you talk about 100, you're talking about the energy force that drives your growth and development. Like I said before, fruitfulness. Zero stands for eternity and infinity, not ending. That is why your, your calculation, no man numerals, which we used today, you always have one zero zero. Start from ten, you understand that? Zero zero zero. Thousands and so on and so forth in your calculation. So it stands for eternity and infinity. So we're talking about eternity and infinity driving your goal and your desire, your success, your fruitfulness. This will begin to talk about bringing forth fruit. In other words, when you come to begin to receive the word of God and it's settling in your life, then there is the power that drives the word that takes you into the fruitfulness of your goal, your growth, your developing your success as a believer. I'm not just talking about material success. I'm talking about your spiritual success, which is your ultimate goal while you're here. The material success comes along the line. There's no problem about that with the word of God as well. But remember, it said, you seek for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be what? Added to you. So the more you grow spiritually, the more all of these material things comes our way. And we are saying that the hundred is that which brings you to the place of the one and the zero. Your success, your growth, your progress, your development... And the zero becomes the energy, the divine force that drives your success and your energy, I mean your, your, your growth and your progress in life. And is that which represents infinity, non-end, and eternity. The zero. Alpha and what? Omega. Don't forget that. Omega speaks of the ending. 
You know, remember, when he said, I'm the author of your faith, he is the author of our faith, right? What it means is, he begins your faith and he ends your faith. Do you understand that? That is why Paul will say, look at Galatians, we'll come back here. Galatians 2 verse 20. Galatians 2.20 I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh as a human being, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The faith of the Son of God. So it's not about your faith. It's about his faith. I don't know if you're getting that. If you truly want to succeed in life, you have to live by his faith. <laughs> because he's the author and finisher of our faith. He begins the faith, he ends the faith. Praise the Lord. So that is the omega aspect of the O, the zero, that accompanies the hundred. That we speak of eternity and infinity. That speaks of fullness of life, spiritual life, spiritual growth. So when you begin to see hundred, Hundred begin to reveal to you. You understand what God is beginning to talk to you about? Your growth, your development, your success, your upward movement spiritually, and the energy that drives that. Non-stop. And I say if you are moving in this dimension, there is no power that can stop you from making progress because it is God himself who is energizing you to make this progress. Praise the Lord. Hundred, therefore, is actually your time to tune in more to your spiritual life. It's time to tune in the more to your spiritual life. When you begin to see hundred appear to you, God is calling you to tune in more, to get more into your spiritual life. He's calling your attention that you need to get some development, some growth, some movement in your spiritual journey. Hallelujah. So here you go to life with a positive mindset and never to allow negative emotions block you from your spiritual goals. I want to read something for you. Romans chapter 4. Let's look at verse 17. Romans 4 verse 17. Negative thoughts must get out of your mind. Through number 100. Ah, as it is written, I've made you a father of many nations. Right? Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickened the dead, and called those things will be not as though they were. Verse 18. Who against hope believed in hope? That he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And be not weak in faith. He considered not his own body now dead. When he was about what? A hundred years old. Now that he had the deadness of Sarah's womb. And that's what I'm saying now. Hundred gets you out of negative thinking about the promises of God for your life. 
Did you get that? Look at it. And be not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, Abraham now, when he was what? About a hundred years old. Neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He could not think about those things anymore. Praise the Lord. Are you getting that? The fact that he was old, the fact that he was age, was not interfering with the promises of God. Now when he was hundred, he brought for Isaac. So strong faith is tied to number what? Hundred. Did you get that? So that is why you see 30 fold, 60 fold, 100 fold. Strong faith is not 100 fold. At that dimension, the word of God is so strong in your life, you are not thinking negatively about what God has promised you. It will come to pass. You entered into your 100 fold level of fruitfulness. Is it making sense to you? Right. So here we find that Abraham was now operating a hundredfold level of faith because he considered not the deadness of his body, now that the deadness of Sarah's womb. He still had faith that that seed of promise will do what will come. When he said was about a hundred, he wouldn't think negatively about it. And when it was hundred, the promises come to pass. So that's how powerful number hundred is. So God is showing you 100, just talking about your fruitfulness, talking about the fulfillment of your promises. He's saying, hold on to the word. That's why those who receive the word, that doesn't work in them, they're like, you know, you understand that, right? But when you're holding on to the word, when you believe in the word of God, you come to the place where you become a hundredfold realm, it gives you not just life, fruitfulness begins to come in. You begin to bear fruit a hundredfold. Praise the Lord. Okay, let's take the remaining 15 minutes talk about a thousand now. The thousand. So we're dealing with 90, we're dealing with 100, now we're going to a thousand. Now the word thousand appears 521 times in the King James Version. 521 times. In Judges chapter 15, 15 to 16, Samson, who was a judge in Israel, destroyed a thousand Philistines army with the jawbone of an ass. Judges 15, we look at from 15 to 16. So, Samson with the jawbone of an ass, heaps up heaps with the, with the jaw of an ass, have I slain what? A thousand men. Praise the Lord. Okay. Now, look at Ezekiel chapter 4, 4 to 6. Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 4 to 6. Prophecy, how this word is used. The book of Ezekiel chapter 4, from verse 4 to 6. The Bible says, Then the people of the land, wicked in the hand, what are you saying? Ezekiel chapter 4, chapter 4, from verse 4 to 6. Lie thou also upon the left side, and lay thou the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it according to the number of the days that thou shalt lie upon it, thou shalt bear their iniquity. Verse 5. For I have laid upon thee the years of their iniquity according to the number of the days, three hundred and ninety days, so shall thou bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. 
And the next thing says, And when thou hast accomplished them, lie again on the right side, and thou shalt bear the iniquity of the house of Judah forty days. I have appointed thee each day for what? A year. Now, this, what I'm trying to bring out now is this. You see this place. Here God is saying, 40 days are going to lie on this side, and they are going to suffer for 40 years. So a day equals a year. That's what I want you to see. Is that okay? Now go with me to Psalm 90 verse 4. Psalm 90 verse 4. For a thousand years is in that side, but what? As yesterday. And when it is past, as what? And as a watch in the night. That's like a day. Just one day. Second Peter 3 verse 8. Second Peter 3 verse number 8. Praise the Lord. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. That one day is with the Lord as what? A thousand years. And a thousand years as what? One day. Very good. Now, I just need to get this as a kind of background. Okay. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse number 9. They said, Know therefore that the Lord thy God is God, the faithful God, which keep a covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandment to what? A thousand generations. So now, what I want you to see is this. This world is figurative. Is that okay? It's prophetic. It's not counting one to a thousand the way it is used in scriptures. That's what I want you to see. Praise the living God. Okay. So, um, thousand speaks of divine protection, as it were. You can look at Joshua 23 verse 10. 91 verse 7 also. It speaks of divine protection. Joshua 23 verse 10. One man of you shall chase a thousand for the Lord your God. He is the, he that fighteth for you as he had promised you. Remember that? He said that before. Okay. So here you find a divine protection. You know, protecting his people. You also find out in Psalm 91 verse number 7. So a thousand speaks of divine protection. It's very important you understand that. Okay. Now, my time is almost running. Let's go to Psalm 50 verse 10. 50 verse 10. For every beast of the forest is mine, and a cattle upon a thousand hills. Here again I want you to see. How many hills do you have in the world? So we are not saying that you begin to count one to a thousand then the other hills the cattle on them does not belong to God. No. The Bible says the earth and the fullness thereof belongs to him. Is that okay? Right. So again you find out this is a figurative language. I'm saying this because of where we are going to. Because, you see, uh, okay, go with me to Psalm 105 verse 8. Psalm 105 verse 8. 
He had remembered his covenant forever. The world which is commanded toward a thousand generations. He said that in the book of Joshua. Said that in the book of Deuteronomy. Is that okay? Right. I mean, so, a thousand generations. What is that supposed to mean? How many people were there when they remember his word to a thousand generations? But it is all about Christ. I don't know if you are getting that. Praise the living God. Alright. You know, when Jesus said in Matthew 5 verse 41, that if man asks you to walk, let's look at that. I'll show you something. Which of us are compared to go a mile, go with him two miles? Is that okay? Now, the Roman mile in Jesus' day were made up of a thousand pace or steps. Thousand steps. That's what was a mile. Go to. Is that okay? Praise the living God. That's in the taste of the Romans. That's the way they were calculating their mileage. But here is what I want to deal with. But first of all, let me also read that. Um, okay. Let's look at Revelation 20 now, verse number 1. And then we'll come to Revelation 14. Revelation 20, verse number 1. And I saw an angel came down from heaven having the keys of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid on the dragon, that old serpent. Thank you. That old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Now listen closely. This devil is a spirit. You cannot use a physical chain to chain a spirit. Are you getting what I'm saying here? So people have to think when they read the Bible. You can't go buy a chain, this kind of chain here, and chain the devil. No, 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 no. So you must understand that this is not a physical thing. Is that okay? Now, if the chain is not physical, then the thousand years cannot be physical. Does it make sense to you? Right. Now, verse 13. And cast him to the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon it that he deceive, he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be let loose a little while. And verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded, for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their forehead, or in their hands. And they live and reign with Christ, what? A thousand years. Now here is the point. This is what we call the millennial reign. Is that okay? I don't know if you are getting this. I want to explain something to you here. This is what we call the mini Lauren. And so they said, he reigns for a thousand years. Hold that child. A thousand years. But the point is this. Now before I come back here, go with me to Revelation 11 verse 15. Very quickly. I will come back here. Revelation 11 verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and it shall reign for how many how many times? 
forever and ever. Not a thousand years. So go back to Revelation 20 verse 4 and I'll show you who the people that ought to reign for a thousand years is not Christ. Go back there. Verse 4, Revelation 20 verse 4. And I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. Now remember what Jesus said in the book of Matthew chapter 19. You remember that? Good. At the time of the outpouring, what you call the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit on his throne, you also shall sit on what? Twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribe of Israel. You remember that? Very good. Now, who are these people? Remember, the sword that were beheaded doesn't mean these are people whose neck were cut off. No. This is what we call unreasonable souls. In other words, their whole life is embedded in the gospel. They are not thinking, they, they have lost their mind. If your head is off, you are no longer thinking right. So they are irrational souls. Hallelujah. They are not thinking, they are not, we are not talking of some people that were killed and then they were under the throne and their head were not there. Only their body was there. No, that's not what he's talking about. We are talking of irrational soul. Men whose mind is no longer earthly. Their mind is completely heavenly. These are men that are ruled and controlled by the Spirit of Christ. Is that okay? Now, the Bible said they reign with Christ, what? A thousand years. They are the one reigning, not that the reign of Christ is coming to an end. Now, let me give you this example. We have our governor there, Okowa, right? If, for instance, they appoint somebody to work with the governor, and he might work with governor for two years, and he's dropped, you can say this man worked with the governor for two years. I don't know if you're getting that. It's the man's period of work that ended, not the governor himself. So the irrational soul are the people reigning a thousand years with Christ. Not that Christ's reign is ending in a thousand years. I don't know if you're catching what I'm saying. They reign with Christ as judges on the throne for what? A thousand years. To reign with is to be in union. In other words, they are using this authority to reign. Know that Christ's reign is ending a thousand years. Now this is what he said, oh, when he's going to come a second time, he will reign a thousand years, he will bind the devil. You understand that? All of those stories, they are just theological nonsense. Now how is this happening? When you lost your mind to become an irrational soul, just like the twelve apostles that were sitting and judging the twelve tribe of Israel. How were they doing that? There was no specific throne erected. But right on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit came on them, they become judges in Israel. Up to now, they are even reigning and reigning. How do I say that? You quote a statement and say, according to the book of Peter, according to the book of James, according to the book of Matthew. What do you think they are doing? They are still judging today, even the spiritual Israel of God. Because a judge is the one that sits on the throne and gives dictate based on the law. You sentence people today through the word, which is what they have written. 
They are all judges even up to this moment. And that is what the word is telling you. That when you come to a place in God, you begin to exercise authority. This is where when you make a statement, it comes to pass. When you say that you have decreed a thing, it shall come to pass. The irrational soul are men who have lost their mind for Christ. They are being controlled and ruled by Christ. They are reigning with Christ. And a thousand years doesn't mean one, two, three, two, a thousand. No, it speaks of a period of time. Guess what? This is what happened. How does the devil get loose? When revelation comes to you, the devil is bound. Is that okay? But when you lose revelation into religion, the devil is loose again. So, it's bound, it's loose. It's bound, it's loose. Jesus was telling, if you don't have to agree to anything, it shall be done on it, right? Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven, isn't it? How do you bind things? How do you bind things? You just restrain. And how do you restrain the devil? Through revelation knowledge. Through the word of God. Through understanding. And when you come to that place, you're reigning over the devil. Hallelujah. So a day like a thousand years. We're not counting one, two, three, to a thousand places. No, that's not what we're talking about. Those who reign with Christ a thousand years, we are the irrational soul. Men who have lost their mind. Men who are not thinking natural. Men who have, oh come on. You see, at a stage they told Paul that he was mad. How many of you remember that? Say, much learning have made thee mad. Even Jesus, they told him that this one is beside himself. He's mad because he was irrational. He was not thinking like ordinary people. He was not thinking like natural men. And he said, these guys are mad. And that's what we're talking about. These are the irrational souls under the throne. Amen? So you come to that level. Authority is vested in your life because you're reigning with Christ. What that means is, every day of your life, you can experience the victory and the fall. Depending on what voice you are listening to, what voice you are hearing. I mean, that is what happened. Yesterday I was sharing something with my wife and he asked me a question. You know, it's personal to me. And it didn't just begin to walk in my head when she asked me the question. Because my confession was negative. My confession was discouraging. Because of certain experiences that I go through. So I just went home and I was telling her, I feel like doing this. And she said, why do you want to do that? I said, no. There are one, two things that the Lord promised me and I have not seen them. I, I just, he said, but what about this? What about this? Why do you think this thing does not belong to those things that the Lord promised you? Praise the living God. I don't know if you get what I'm saying. Now that level, when I was thinking negatively, 100 now, negativity, Remember that. Abraham did not count himself dead. That is, he was completely on the 100 level. Now, I was down to maybe about, about 50, or I mean, maybe 30. I was down to 30. <laughs> in my thinking, in my calculation, I was down to 30. You understand what I'm saying? Right. At that level, I let the devil lose. Because discouragement was not coming to my life. Faithlessness was not coming to my life. You've allowed the devil loose in your life. But when she asked me that question, something popped up again in my spirit. And I said, no, that was the wrong decision. Instantly, I went back. And I began to praise God in my mind. I began to talk to the Father. And I said, okay, this promises, I see one more of it. I don't know if you're getting that. I'm back to where I'm supposed to be. So there's a losing and binding. A losing and binding. That is the way we walk every day. When we get discouraged, the devil will take advantage. You remember, 
The only weapon of the devil is lies, deception, discouragement. Those are the arrows that he throws at us. But one good thing you must understand that, like I mentioned some time ago, you see the reed on the head of Jesus when they put in the, the crown of thorns. What is that supposed to mean? It's to hold your mind. That is why the mark of the beast on the forehead. Okay, Revelation 14 now. We can end there. Revelation 14, our time is almost gone. Revelation 14, verse number 1. Let me show you. So the rational soul have nothing to do with, uh, you know, uh, Jesus is going to come, reign 1,000 years, and then business end. The reign of Christ is forever and ever. The kingdom is forever and ever. Is that okay? Right. Set up his kingdom, which shall not end. That's what the Bible said. The kingdom shall... How can the kingdom end when... The, oh, come on. I used to tell people, you can teach that which is called millennial reign. It's nonsense. It's no Bible. The increase of his government, there shall be no end. That's what the Bible says. Right from when the kingdom got established, it's not ended. There is no stunted growth. So there is no way you say the kingdom is going to come millennial reign 1,000 and it continue on the other side. Jesus come down, bind the devil 1,000 years, go away again, come back again. Ah, leave that. Revelation 40 verse 1. Are you there with me? And I look and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion and with him what? 144,000. Having what? His father's name written where? In their foreheads. Can you get that? What's the name of the father? The nature of the father. The character of the father. is written where? In their forehead. What is that supposed to mean? In their mind. They thinking as God. They acting as God. 144,000. Why is it 144? 12 times 12, 144. This is the fullness of God's kingdom. He's not talking of literal people. Hallelujah. Go to verse number 8 here. Let me, okay, just, just read through this. Read through this. Verse, verse 2. Give me verse 2. And I heard a voice from heaven and a voice of many waters. And the voice of a great multitude. And I heard the voice of happening, happening with the halves. Voice of multitude. A lot of people. From heaven, not up in the sky. From Mount Zion. From the church. From those who have received the mark of the fire on their forehead. That's where the reed comes on the head of Jesus. With his stripes you are healed. Is that okay? Right. Then he binds your head so that the arrows of the devil will not pierce your mind. His mind was pierced so that your mind can be free. Praise God. Look at verse number 3. And the song has been a new song. Before the throne and before the four beasts. And the elders and no man could learn that song. But the one of 44,000. Which were what? Redeemed from the earth. So these are people that are redeemed. We are not talking of some people that are in heaven somewhere. And who are the redeemed today from the earth? You and I. What's the next year? These are they which were not defiled with women. For their virgins, these are they which follow the land which advice where it goeth. These were redeemed from amongst men, being the first fruit unto God and toward the Lamb. Listen closely. They were not defiled by women. What is that supposed to mean? They are not defiled by the church system that teaches things that are not God. They are teaching that are not of the Spirit of God. That's what women stands for. Hallelujah. They are not defined by the church Babylonian system that teaches things that are corrupt. 
No, no, no. That are earthly minded. They are not setting affection on the heavens. They are not teaching so stuff. Let me show you. James chapter 1 verse number 8. Say they are not, they are virgins. They are virgin and they are false fruit. Oh, glory. You see, we are talking of people that can bear the seed, which is the word. Go to verse 18, I'm sorry. Go to verse 18, James 1 verse 18. Hallelujah. Of his own will, because us, with what? The word of truth, that we should be what? A kind of false fruit of his creature. So what do you find in verse 4 there, in Revelation 14? False fruit, virgin, the same group of people. Only the false fruit can truly carry the seed. Only the virgin can receive the seed of life, which is the word of God. That is why you find that the word who carried the word, Mary. Who was Mary? A virgin. Said, These are virgins. They are not corrupted. They are not defied by women, by all manner of teachings and corrupt doctrines all over the place. These are pure before God. They follow the Lamb with us ever He goeth. They are led by His Spirit. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Are you listening to me? That's the one for the four thousand. So I'm talking of something, you know, counting one for the four, and then the rest they are not redeemed from the earth. No, cheap theology. Hallelujah. Are you getting what I'm saying here? So reigning in one thousand years speaks about your life when you have the word in your life, pure word of truth in your life. You have dominion. You have power. You reign over the devil. The day you fall from faith, you lose your dominion, your authority. So there is a binding. There is a losing. When Martin Luther came with the revelation, the just shall live by faith. The devil was bound. When men left the God by faith and going to Catholicism and begin to read, I mean, uh, you understand that the devil let loose. That's what it means. When revelation comes, the devil is bound. When 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 religion comes, the devil is let loose. That's just what is happening. And so, those of you listening to me now, this understanding can trigger you to a point where you have your authority being exercised, but you go into another denomination, another teaching, begin to hear all manner of things, your faith comes down again, the devil is let loose. So there's a binding, there's a losing. There's a binding, there's a losing. Those who are irrational soul, who've lost their mind, behead their soul, they are the ones that reign with Christ. We're not talking about those who are killed. No. Those who have lost their mind, they are not thinking as natural people anymore. Their mind will be taken over by Christ. The 144,000 with the name of the Father written where? In their forehead. Their mind is of God. Their thinking is of God. And Paul will say, be ye transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Get something out of your mind. Get the old man out of your mind. Think as Christ thinks. Think as the Father thinks. Let his nature be embedded in your heart. And you walk in the realm of dominion. You are among those who are redeemed from the earth. And James really clarified this. Of his own we begat us, we become sons. With what? The world of truth. That we should be what? A kind of first fruit, glory to God, of his creature. We are a kind of first fruit of God's creature on the face of the earth. Are you getting what I'm talking about? And these are the first fruit that are not defied by what? By women. Praise the living God. So we're talking of those who stay by the revelation, stay with the strength of the power of the truth of God's word that comes to them. 
These are the 144,000. So what are we talking about? It's a realm of reigning. It's a realm of fruitfulness. It's a realm of dominion. Is anybody got in this? Praise the living God. Did you catch anything tonight? God bless you. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org. Or you can send us an email, admin at gkai.com.